Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. What a wonderful day to stay in bed, right? Wow. I woke up and it was raining so hard and I thought I could just stay here. But then I thought about you all and how much you would miss me. So I got up, had a wonderful foundations class, and I'm glad to be here worshiping with you. Uh, so let's pray together and then we will dive in. Our psalm for this morning from our reading plan, as Cap just read from, is Psalm 29, and it begins like this, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name, worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Father God, this is why we gather because you are worthy of all glory and praise. You are worthy of our worship. Father God, you need nothing we can offer. God, you lack nothing in and of yourself. But in your great mercy, you loved us. You invited us into unity with you by sending your Son to die on our behalf. And you put your spirit in our hearts. God, let us be a people who walk in this joyous truth with our eyes fixed on Christ by the power of your spirit within us. Amen. All right. Well, good to be with you this morning as we continue our series on the mission and vision of the church by talking about gospel-centered growth. And this is the last of the four ways we as a church hope to fulfill our vision of glorifying God and making disciples together. And then next week, we're going to kind of wrap the whole series up and tie everything together by talking about the gospel-centered church. And so if you're curious uh, where we're headed after that, that's a great question. Uh, we're going to spend two weeks kind of talking about gospel community, just kind of a spinoff from this series, and then we're going to roll into the book of Galatians, which is going to take us well into the summer. So that's where we are headed after this series, but today we are talking about gospel-centered growth. And when we talk about gospel-centered growth or church growth in general, I think what often comes to our minds is the word success. We live in a success-driven culture. Everyone wants to be successful. They want to be a part of things that are successful. And if you're going to be successful, you have to have something to measure. You have to have something that you can compare. And, and we see this all over society, in the business world, but we, we also see it in the church world. 
One of the first questions I'm typically asked when people find out that I'm a pastor is, well, how big is the church, right? It's an incredibly annoying question. But it's one of the first questions because in their mind, that will tell them something about me. That will tell them something about this church, about how, how good of a pastor I am or how much respect I deserve, like right? six people meet in my garage, right? Or I say 4,000, they're like, oh, okay. How many bottoms are in the seats on Sunday morning? That's the question. And, and really, the, the, this success temptation is real. Over the, the 10 plus years I've been pastor here, there have been times when I've thought about all of the ways we could get more people in the door, how we could make things more comfortable, more fun for your children, more aesthetically appealing, if that's possible. <laughs> because I know, and you know, that would draw more people. It would. But I also know the danger. I know the temptation to appease, to water down the truth, to use gimmicks and shallow pandering to get more people into the room. And this is why myself and the elders have been intentional about avoiding these things. We've leaned hard towards the unspectacular so that at all cost, we would not try to draw anyone into this church with anything other than the gospel itself. That's it. Because when we fall into the trap of trying to make everyone comfortable, there is this twofold danger. First off, our gathering and our worship becomes about us about our experience, or about how successful we look to the outside world. And secondly, if we pursue comfort, we inevitably have to water down the gospel. We have to, if we're going to be comfortable. Because what pierces and convicts and unsettles people the most inside the church is the gospel itself. The gospel makes people uncomfortable. It gets in our business. It exposes our false hopes and our counterfeit joys. It's this offensive reality that you and me are not the point. Christ is the point. That we are hopeless and helpless apart from Him. That your money and your influence and your education and your social standing, all these things that make you or me pretty important out in the world mean nothing in the kingdom of God. We are all laid bare before the cross of Christ. We bring nothing to the table except a humble awareness of our need for a righteousness that we cannot produce, a righteousness that's been offered freely in Christ. And this is a hard message in an affluent society like ours. Our flesh is averse to the reality that we are weak and in need of a Savior, in need of saving outside of ourselves. And so we have two options as a church. We always have we can preach the Word of God for the glory of God and trust that lives will be transformed by the power of God, 
Or we can jump on the growing trend of churches in our culture that just stop using uncomfortable words like sin and hell. We can build a church that looks like a country club so that people are really comfortable on Sunday morning when I tell you that God is just honored that you blessed us this morning with your presence. He's just so happy. I'll say all kinds of feel-good words about how to be the best version of yourself while really saying absolutely nothing at all. We'll buy bouncy houses for the kids. We'll blow up social media with endless posts about how much fun it is to go to church. And we would be successful. That's the recipe. We would grow much faster. And I'm not hating on church growth. In the book of Acts, we see explosive growth of the church as the gospel spreads. And God has graciously grown this church year after year. But when we talk about gospel-centered growth, we're not just talking about the number of bottoms occupying seats. Because while that is a form of growth, that's not the metric that Scripture uses to measure success. See, the metric of growth that we see in Scripture is not the number of people that show up in one place but the degree to which the hearts of those people love Jesus and walk in obedience to him. A a healthy church in the eyes of God is a community that is growing in the gospel, a community that is strong in the love of Christ, a community that is serving and sacrificing for one another, a community who proclaims the gospel and longs to see the glory of God cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And when we as a community grow in that way, when we grow spiritually mature, rooted in the gospel, we will also see a growth in numbers. Not because of an event that we put on on Sunday morning, but because we will be a community of people who radiate the love of Jesus, who cannot remain silent about the glory of our God and who draw people into the community by proclaiming salvation and life through Jesus Christ alone. That is gospel-centered growth. It's the result of the people who have been united by the blood of Jesus Christ, who are fueled by worship, and who long to walk in righteousness so that God might be made much of. And that has always been our hope for this church. And I do hope we continue to grow in size, but just like we talked about last week with gospel-centered service, God is not just after our actions or the results of our actions. He's after hearts. He's not looking for the perfect church, but for a people with an ever-growing joy and desire to enter into his presence. So we want to be a people who grow in the gospel. And hopefully, that's why you're here. I I know that's why you're here. You want to grow. You want to experience the joy of God's presence and live a life that brings glory to Him. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul paints this great picture of what gospel-centered growth looks like and how this growth happens. And so I'm going to read through this text, and then we will walk through it together. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, and he, that is God, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, 
the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed no, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and dece- deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. There's a lot there. And, and, and just right off the bat, first thing we see here is that, that God gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. He gifted these people. He called these people. And as we talked about last week, this isn't leadership like the world defines it. Paul isn't talking about rock star pastors or internet prophets. He's talking about people who have been called and equipped to pour their lives out for the church. And I know Christian leadership has been corrupted in so many ways throughout history. It's been abused and perverted, but the famous guys who rolled around with Jesus, they suffered and struggled. They were beaten and tortured, and most of them ended up being killed for their faith. There is nothing glamorous about true gospel ministry. It is a life laid down. It is a life poured out. But what stands out in Paul's words here is that contrary to what seems to be the social norm these days, he doesn't say that he gave the church all of these awesome leaders to do the work of ministry. That's, that's not what he says. That's how so many people view the church these days, pastors and ministry leaders. They're professionals. They're the ones doing ministry. They're the experts. And everyone else shows up on Sunday to sing songs and glean some nuggets of wisdom. And if we have unbelieving friends, we might try to bring them to the big show on Sunday where the professional minister is going to tell them about Jesus. Because once again, that's kind of what we do, right? That's what I grew up with. It's the come and see mentality of church. If we make it cool enough and comfortable enough and exciting and engaging enough, and we remove all the discomfort from the community of actually needing to tell anyone about Jesus, they just need to invite them to church, right? We're going to make it easy for you. And and honestly, God could use that. He does all the time. And when you bring your unbelieving friends to this church, they will hear the gospel proclaimed. But here's what Paul says the purpose of these leaders are. Not to do the work of ministry, but rather to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's funny. Who are the saints? Who are these people? Leah raised her hand. Leah is actually a saint. So, it's you. You are the saints. Our job as leaders is to equip you for the work of ministry. 
as Paul continues, for building up or growing the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, the job of leaders is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and then then the next line says, for building up the body of Christ. And I don't think Paul is saying that the leaders are the ones building up the body. You, you can definitely read it that way, but I think it's a better reading in the context that the leaders are equipping the saints for the work of ministry, and the work that they are equipping the saints for is building up the body of Christ. The result of a church growing in Christ is that it builds itself up, which is exactly what we read in verse 16, when each part is working properly. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. So, you have been called to ministry. You've been called to build up the body of Christ. That's why we say time and again, or if you just went through the foundations class, you are the church. It's not a building, obviously. It's not an organization. It is a people. And Back in 2020, remember COVID year that we all forgot? There was a sea of empty church buildings and bankrupt churches in America. There was. There are still churches drowning in debt because their ministry was built around Sunday morning. And when Sunday morning was stripped away, the foundation crumbled. It's it's heartbreaking. But it made me so thankful for this community. COVID and and all that ensued afterwards was not easy, but it was such a blessing to watch the gospel go forth in the midst of so much struggle, to see love and care and service flourishing, even when we couldn't gather corporately on Sunday, because we don't go to church on Sunday morning. We gather as the church to worship. And then, after we worship together on Sunday morning, we go out into the world to honor God with our lives as the church. So, God gave us these leaders to equip the saints, still you, for the work of ministry so that we all might build up the church together, then verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith And the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's big. All of this equipping and ministering and growing is a process that will continue until we all arrive at perfect unity of faith and perfect knowledge of Jesus. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So get to work. What this means is that we have been called to grow until Jesus returns in glory. When we are perfectly united with him and with one another as we stand in the presence of God fully sanctified. But until that glorious day when sin and death are no more, we as the church are called to grow in Christ to grow in our knowledge of Him 
and in faith by the power that is in us through him, loving and building one another up in the gospel. And then verse 14, so that, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So, the danger of not growing together as a community in Christ, the danger of seeing the church as an event and the leaders as professionals and never actually heeding the call of God and living out the gospel together is that some people, even the community itself, can get stuck in infancy. It's defined by immaturity. That was the Corinthian church. Paul said to them, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready. And even now you are not yet ready. Paul's like, I prepared all this food. I put it on a plate. I showed you how to eat it. And yet you're acting like babies. You're old enough to drive a car and to go to war, and you've actually produced human beings of your own. But you're showing up on Sunday wanting to be spoon-fed. And then you go home and you starve all week long only to come back on Sunday for your weekly feeding. That's not healthy. You need to eat more than one time a week. That's why we have this Bible reading plan that we just started. That's why we have these fundamental classes that are coming to to help with some of these basic struggles. That's why we have small groups and Bible studies. Right? I can't show up every day and read the Bible to you. I would love to, but at some point that gets weird. Right? We want you to learn to feed yourself. And if you feel like, I know some do caught between these two worlds, between faithfulness to Christ and, and all the stuff out there, all the other things tossed to and fro by the waves, it may be time to stop looking for someone to, to spoon-feed you the truth and, and to learn how to cook a meal. Cook a, a steak and feast on the Word. Invite people in to the meal that you've prepared. Because if we're not growing as a community, if we're not stirring one another up and encouraging one another in the gospel, then we will devolve into adolescence. We will struggle with the same sins. We will fall into the same traps. We will talk about all the same fears and yet never see the power of God at work in our midst. And I don't want that. We already read that that we're not going to reach full maturity until Christ returns in glory. But my prayer is that we will see growth. That we will see old sins put to death so that we can struggle with some new ones. I want to see old fears wiped away so that we can tackle the next fears that will come. Because faithfulness to the call of God on this community means that we will struggle. We will deal with sin and fear and doubt and anxiety. My hope is simply that we struggle well. 
that we would continually point one another to the saving work of Jesus and the power that is promised to us in Him as we struggle together as one people for God's glory. Because the danger of perpetual adolescence in a community, the the danger of not growing in the gospel and in our understanding of God is that we're, we're susceptible to deception, Paul says. We're tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by deceitful schemes. Deceitful schemes. Or whatever the latest cultural wave is. That's why we preach through books of the Bible on Sunday and talk through Scripture in small groups and gather together to disciple one another. Not to pack our brains with a bunch of information but to fill our hearts and our minds with the truth of God. Because there are people who will try to lead you astray. There are. There are false teachers and false doctrines. There are people who will feed you lies under the guise of Christianity. And on top of that, the voice that speaks the most persuasive lies is our own. That's the worst Our flesh is always trying to convince us that God could never love us, that we're too wicked or beyond salvation, that our sins are too deep or too dark if people only knew, or that there's this greater joy to be found out there in a new house or new clothes or new hobbies or new friends or the next Amazon purchase. Our flesh is always putting doubt into our minds. And if we're not confident in the gospel, if we're not preaching the gospel to ourselves, if we don't know the God we serve, it is so easy to be led astray, to believe whatever someone says just because they put the word pastor before their name, right? Read it on the internet. Not a good start to anything. We can form this image of God based upon our feelings or our experiences rather than who God actually says he is in his word. This is why God gave us a community so that when we struggle and when we doubt, even when we've given into those fears or anxieties, we have people around us to speak truth into our hearts to walk alongside us and struggle with us so that we as a community might grow strong in Christ. And finally, in verse 15 and 16, Paul paints this picture of what gospel-centered growth looks like. Here's the alternative to being a grown man or woman who still needs spoon-fed. The alternative to being blown back and forth by every wind of doctrine or deceptive idea. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Such a beautiful picture. Christ is the head. We are the body, or 
all the different body parts. We've been joined to one another by Him. We are held together by Him. We have been equipped by Him, and our growth comes from Him. Our growth in health as a church, the measuring stick by which Scripture evaluates a community is hearts that love Jesus Christ. Not just my heart or your heart, but the heart of the community knit together by God, corporately pursuing the glory of God. A community where Christ's heart grows to be our heart, where our actions reflect kingdom values, where we know and believe that every person in this room who has trusted in Jesus for salvation has an integral part to play in the body of Christ. Every person. Especially you saying, well, yeah, everybody but me. You. Paul doesn't say the body grows strong when you have a really great pastor and leaders and a few dedicated people. He could have said that, but that's not what he said. He says when each part, every part is working, the result is that the body grows so that it builds itself up. As we read Romans 12, 4 through 6, For as in one body we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Use them. You are the church. God has gifted you for the upbuilding of the body, and our individual health affects the entire community. Right? Let me say that again. Your health, my health, our individual health affects the entire community. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are the church. We're a bunch of messy, prideful, sin-laden people who had nothing to offer to God that would warrant His favor. And yet, He loved us. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to bear the weight of our sin, to take the wrath that we deserved for our sin and to give us all the blessings and promises that were His on account of His righteousness. And it is through Christ that we have been reconciled to God and united with one another. God's saying, I'm building a new kingdom, a new kind of community like nothing the world has ever seen before. We have been redeemed, adopted, empowered, and called to live out this new kingdom reality in the world. And he united us with himself and with one another so that no matter how hard life gets, no matter what storms life brings, we will never struggle alone. Ever. We all want this kind of community. But wanting it and actually living it are totally different things. 
And the only hope of growing is this kind of community is found in Christ. It's only realized when we as a community grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. And that's my prayer, that we would continue to grow, that we would continue to draw near to Christ, that we would not take for granted what God is doing in this community, that we would not disregard God's word when he says that every part is crucial for the health of the whole. And I'm so encouraged by what God has already done and what he is doing in this community. I've never been a part of a community where the love of Christ is so evident. And yet, God can do so much more. He will do so much more if we continue to pursue him and his glory together. So let me just close out with Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, you are able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or imagine. God, make us a people who do not settle for some cheap substitutes and shallow joys. God, make us a people who long for the joy of your presence, the joy that you promise and make us a people who strive after it. With all the power that you have promised is in us, God, we make every effort. And God, we ask that this community, that each of us individually and this community as a whole would grow up in every way, as Paul says, into him who is the head, into Christ that we would present to this world a picture of the coming kingdom, that you might be glorified through us. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m., at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org. Amen.